<clears throat> Beloved, if you have your Bible with you there this morning, let's then turn to the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading from chapter 5, verse 12, down to chapter 6, verse 12. Okay? I'll read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bible. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is but a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good from evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Of the doctrines of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they were to have fallen away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned but beloved we are confident of better things concerning you yes things that concern or that accompany salvation though we speak in this matter for god is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who, by, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Amen. Do you remember last week that we looked at the writer's warning here? He stops in mid-message. His message has been about the supremacy of Christ. How Jesus Christ is greater than any other hope, anything that we can add, anyone else. Jesus Christ is sufficient and first. He is the one in whom we hope. And he, he is so much better than everyone else or anyone else that could ever help us in our religious experience, in our relationship to God. And in mid-message now, he stops and he begins to exhort his congregation, his readers, his listeners, 
that they should take special attention to themselves. He doesn't just take it for granted that everyone is Christian. He doesn't take it for granted that everyone is just going on in their faith. He's very aware that there are some who have begun, begun well, began a good race. They have started well. They've made a good confession. But then as the difficulties of life, the distractions, temptations, hardships, struggles, difficulties, as those things are applied to the life of those people, they've begun to waver, they've begun to move back, they've begun to draw away from Christ and Christ alone. Again, I've said many times, one of the things that were happening was that the other Jews, this is a Jew speaking to Jews in a Jewish community, the other Jews who had not believed in Christ, who were still practicing their nominal religion, their outward expressions of faith, they were beginning to find it a little bit offensive that their sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, whoever, their neighbors, that they were not participating anymore in the traditions and in the rituals. They were not lifting up the traditions of the elders anymore. When we all went on Karakwell, you know, to some sort of uh, men's retreat to the temple as they did three times a year. All the men would gather together and they would go up manly. They would do all their manly things. They would strip off to their t-shirts and they would kill sheep and they would hand them over and all those things would be done for them and they would splash to have a blood party where blood would be splashed upon them. Sounds horrific. But that's the things that were going on. And now the Christians were saying, I didn't have to do that anymore. Jesus is my lamb and my sins have been forgiven. I have righteousness, not of myself, but of Christ. All my sins have been forgiven. Those things are just dead works. And it was causing tremendous offense. Do you imagine with Momo Mofa or Famo and Fafa, your brothers, your sisters, and it's We've always done this. This is family tradition. It's like, it's like saying we don't celebrate Christmas anymore. You know? We don't have people in our house anymore. We don't, we don't do that anymore. People think you're weird. Not celebrating Easter anymore. But not, not sending your kids out. Posk rhyming for the candy or something. And all of a sudden people are like, but this is what we've always done in our country. This is what we've always done among our people. Or midsummer, maybe a midsummer, not celebrating midsummer or some other tradition here in Finland that's just taken for granted that you do or not baptizing your baby. Withdrawing from church membership in the Lutheran church. Not paying your church tax. Not going to the local Lutheran church for Christmas, Easter or something else. Not sending your kids to confirmation class or having them confirm. And all of a sudden the neighbours, the friends, the family are all saying, that's weird, why are you not doing that? Are you a part of a cult? What's going on? don't understand. And then, are you saying there's something wrong if we do that then? And people get offended. Are you saying that we're sinning? Are you saying that what we're doing is wrong? And it causes offense. And that was what was happening here in that time. 
And there were those among the Christian congregations who had made a profession, but now when the pressure was being applied, they were beginning to wobble in their confession and beginning to move away from faith in Christ. There was Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus traditional washings. Christ plus going up to the temple for ritual sacrifice. It was no longer just Christ. Christ in himself was not enough. You had to have something more. And that was simply to appease whoever, you know, the family. People were coming under tremendous pressure. And the writer, the speaker here, he knows that and he stops in mid-message and begins to exhort, to speak as a pastor speaking to his people with love, as a shepherd to his flock. He is reaching out and wanting to help them. He sees the danger that they're in. He sees what's going to happen if they continue in this way. And all of a sudden, he stops and begins to address them. He warned them, didn't he, last time, that many of them had become dull of hearing. Slow. That, again, the word, I like it, it's dull doesn't mean just like, like dull like a butter knife. You know, like one of those wooden knives your children make, or you made when you were at school for the, for the bread. It, it can literally mean like moving back. If you think of when you get uh, like a taffy, do you know what taffy is? It's like, like a, a sort of a, a sugary lump and you pull it apart. It's like cotton candy, only thick. And you pull it apart, it's like uh, gummy almost, you know, and you pull it apart and then it slowly comes together. It's made of sugar and water and actually sugar and seawater it's made of. And uh, it's a sweet in America that you eat, okay? Yeah. But it's, it's known for its like molasses type, you know, it's slowly, if you stretch it out, it pulls it back to its original form. It always moves back. And the idea is that they've become slow and dull and, and they're, they're, they're going back to their original form. They're, they're slowly going back. The, the, the elasticity is coming back. And he warns his hearers, the readers, the church down through all the ages, that they are running the risk of becoming dull hearers. Those who hear what's being said but don't really hear it. Have you ever had that experience? My wife says it's selective hearing. You know, I'll, I'll be doing something like painting or, or reading a book or watching TV or playing the Xbox or whatever, something. And my wife will say something and I'll be like, and then she'll say to me a few moments later, did you hear what I was saying? Not a word. Not a, I heard that she was saying something, but I didn't hear what she was saying. It's not that I'm deaf. It's not that I lack the ability to hear. It's just simply that there's something in my sinfulness that when just kind of goes through one ear and comes out the other. I've become dull of hearing. I have said to you about a hundred times to do that. Why do you keep doing those things? Why? I asked you a hundred times. Like my wife yesterday asked me to wrap a present for the... We have a birthday party after church today. And she asked me to, pre, to wrap a present. She asked me like 15 times yesterday to do it. And this morning she said to me, did you wrap that present? <laughs> no, I forgot. 
So I wrapped it this morning. <laughs> Dull of hearing. You understand what he's saying. It's not that you lack the ability. It's simply that you've become so used, so apathetic, so careless, so uncaring, so dull of hearing that you hear what's being said, but it has no purchase. There's no response within you. You've become immune to it. You can just switch it off. Selective hearing. And he warns those who are there, who are hearing him, of the danger of this. And he reprimands them, tells them off. He exposes, he flashes into their eyes the fact that they've become like children, babies again. How ridiculous that is. Commending them to become like grown-ups. And then in uh, chapter 6 today, where we're at today, he says, Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. There are deeper things in Christ. These are the people whom he's talking to are the ones who are saying, All I need to know is Jesus. Jesus is enough for me. And he goes on. He then outlines those elementary, those beginners, those novice principles those things that are supposed to be the first believers class your first year the simple the simple teachings he goes on he says not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith towards God and he outlines the basic gospel through these things Repentance from dead works. Trying to redeem yourself from outward religion. By trusting in you. By doing what you think is best. By participating in some sort of religious tradition. And then the the other side of that coin. Faith towards God. Sola fide. Faith in Christ and in Christ alone. In trusting what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. When we say I believe in Jesus. We mean I believe in what Jesus has done for me. Not just I believe that he exists. But I believe that he did what he he said he did. I believe that he made a way for me. I believe he paid for my crimes against God. This is an elementary teaching. A beginner's teaching. All Christians everywhere should know this. This should be Christianity 101. If I was to ask you, can you tell me from the Bible, again, not just from your own words, but the Bible, what the Bible teaches about repentance from dead works and faith towards God, could we do it? Could we chapter and verse? But the Bible says, it's so ingrained within us that when we squeeze, it comes out. Whenever the... It's one of the things I love about our sister Julie, who's not here today. You ask a question, and Julia knows the answer. Her hand goes up immediately. I love that about her. Because it's part of her. Once you know the answer to something, you want to be able to tell the answer. Or you should. This is the... 
the beginning. We're supposed to know these things unless we've become dull of hearing. Unless, once again, we hear, but it doesn't take purchase upon what we think or say. He goes on, or the doctrines of baptisms. What is a, an official baptism? What is an unofficial baptism? The baptism of washings. Do we know those things? Do we know what the Bible says? What's the first act of obedience that we are supposed to do when we become believers? This open confession. He's laying it out very simply. And yet so many of us, we know kind of, but we have a very shallow view. We, we, don't even, we wouldn't even qualify for Christianity 101. If we were to be put, the light was to be put on us and we were held to, to give an answer to these things. He goes on, of the laying on of hands, that isn't a mystical, magical thing where we transfer power from one person to another. It is church government. How do we acknowledge who is in leadership? How do we acknowledge who has authority? When we symbolically put our hands on people, we acknowledge them to be the person that we vote. It's like putting up your hands. We would say, putting up your hands. Let's take a vote. Put up your hands. Who do we acknowledge? It's the idea of established church government. Lay hands upon no man suddenly. It's the idea of giving somebody authority. Transferring authority. Giving the, the, the symbols, as it were, of, of trust to somebody. What does church government look like? What does the Bible say that church, God's kingdom, Christ's people, how are they to be organized? Who is to be in leadership? What are their qualifications? Men, women, donkeys? I don't know. Who? What? What does the Bible say? Again, this is a elementary level teaching. This is basic 101. We're supposed to know these things. We're supposed to know what the Bible says, not your opinion. I hate that. You know I hate that. You're talking to someone and say, well, that's your opinion. You know what the Bible says? Well, that's your opinion. But the Bible says, well, that's your opinion that it means that. But the Bible says, I just don't agree that. But you're a leader in a church but I'd agree with what the Bible says. How is a person who doesn't agree with what the Bible says qualified to be a leader in the church? Because they don't believe in the Bible and they don't believe in God. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Of the resurrection of the dead, of our great hope. Believers, your life is not to be lived here and now. I mean, we, we live here and now, but our great Hope is not in our best life now. It's not that God should bless us to the fullness and that we should live crazy and amazingly blessed lives here on earth. Our great hope is that we will one day participate in the resurrection of the dead unto glory. All people everywhere will be resurrected from the dead. The Bible is very clear. You know the passages from Revelation. The great white throne. All the humanity being gathered before the throne. And we're all then gathered together for judgment. The great, the small, the mighty. We are all gathered. 
Do we know what the Bible teaches about the resurrection? About our great hope? And about what? How we will look? How will we will? Where, what will we do? Will we all be dressed in white with harps and little wings? Will we all drive clouds? Will heaven be just really, really white? You know? I remember having a conversation with someone once. They told me that, that heaven will be really boring because everything's really white. We all wear white clothes and we, the buildings are all white. And the only thing that's of color is the, the, the streets of gold. But everything else is just white. Why? Where did they get that from? From modern media, TV shows? They're more instructed from the Simpsons or from other things than, than they are from the Bible. The Bible says heaven will be vibrant in color. Colors so bright we can't even see them. Ultraviolet colors that we can't see with our normal eyes. The full spectrum of heaven will be vibrant and amazing. But again, this is Christianity 101. This is basic level Christianity. You are supposed to know about the resurrection. You're supposed to know what the Bible says about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. The whole nature of the resurrected man. And yet so many of us, so many of us live in that shallow kind of Christianity. Where we kind of know, kind of, but yet we have, we, we expose ourselves as being not grown-ups but infants in the faith. We might be grown-ups in the flesh and in the things of this world, but in the things of the faith and the things of God, uh, we wouldn't even qualify in our Test of Christianity 101. And the last part of this elementary teaches is eternal judgment. What does the Bible say about people standing before God in judgment? What does the Bible say about the accountability that we will be held to? Is God just some sort of big snail gobby who's just going to let us all in, open the doors, like Joe Biden with the the borders in America. Just come on in, whoever you are. We accept whoever you are. Is God like that? Does the Bible display God as a God who just closes his eyes to sin and to crime? We know, he not, we know that he's not. But as Christians, we are supposed to know these teachings. We're supposed to be able to teach them, live them out. Display them in our everyday and normal life. Our decisions in life are supposed to be shaped by these foundations. Everything else that we do, think and say is supposed to be built upon these truths. They are to shape who we are as a people. And it's shocking and amazing to think that these are but the foundation. That's just Christianity 101. There are greater truths to be found. There are more exhilarating truths that the Bible has for us. And here, 
the writer says. And there is his desire to go on to them. But only if God permits. He's not going to throw his pearl before the swine. He's not going to try and teach his people calculus or some sort of higher math. I see my boys doing higher math in school. I have not a clue. They ask me and I'm like, I don't know. I can show you how to paint. But higher, high, higher math goes beyond me. I knew. Google it. Um, crazy. And then in verse 4, he begins this really controversial, of course, but interesting little back and forth. He's moved beyond now just talking about the elementary teachings. And now he's reminding of them of the dangers of fruitless Christianity, of making a profession without any kind of evidence, of any kind of adhering to the doctrine, without any kind of fruit coming out of your life, of being an outward Christian but lacking any inward evidence, of going through the motions, saying the right things, smiling, singing, whatever, 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 but yet lacking any kind of internal growth or acknowledgement with Jesus Christ. But we all know them. I know so many people who have professed to be believers and yet have no relationship to God, have no relationship to His people. They're liberal as liberal can be, but they are Christian. They believe in God, but yet... Of course, they don't believe in the Bible. And they don't really have a relationship with church. They can take it or leave it. They're not really committed to a congregation. Here he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. There are many who would say that he's saying here that if someone comes to faith and begins to fall away, well then they can lose their salvation. Now we know that that cannot be. We understand that that, that's impossible. And the good way of understanding this text is to use scripture to explain scripture. Oops, this is bugged life. I'm going to move that out of the way. Use scripture to explain scripture. I think the, the, the best text to explain this is Matthew 13, verse 8. 18, sorry, verse 18. It's Jesus doing the, the explaining. And of course, it's the parable of the sower, really the parable of the soils. The story is not about the man who sowed the soil. See, it's about the, seed, the soil in which the seed fell into. And here in this parable, Jesus is explaining to his disciples the meaning of the parable of the sower or the soils. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. 
But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy and yet has no root within himself but endures for only a while. Uh, for then when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who heard the word and the cares and of this world and the deceitfulnesses of riches, riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Here we see Jesus explaining why it, some go on for a time and then stop. Jesus indicates that not everyone who hears the word and receives it is a believer. They don't show or, or should I say, they are not, they don't receive salvation. There is a, a work going on, but it's not a real work. It's a work of the flesh, of, of their own nature. The very f- first one, of course, is those who hear the word, and there's no response to them whatsoever. They just don't care. Their hearts are unprepared and unwilling, and the enemy just takes it away. It's quick as quick. Just gone, water off a duck's back. Then there's a second category of those who hear the word. Perhaps they're in a situation in their life where they are in danger, under pressure, in extreme circumstances, and they're crying out to God for some kind of help. They're an alcoholic, they're a drug addict. They're some, I'm not saying that they can't be, but they're in some sort of natural worldly state where they're looking for a higher power to come and give them immediate relief. And then someone comes and preaches unto them the word. And they hear that Jesus loves them. And Jesus wants to care for them and help them and give them new life and protect them and offers them a way out and they hear it. Oh, and th- I, this is what I want to believe. This is, this is exactly what I want. This is great. And they're very enthusiastic, very passionate. I believe, I believe, I believe. But then their difficulties come up again. Either their habit cries out. Their sinful circumstances, which hasn't been dealt with. They haven't repented from their sin They just wanted someone to come and deliver them in their circumstances from the consequences of their sin. But perhaps their addiction gets the hold of them. Perhaps their sin, their sinful nature, their unrighteousness, selfishness, their pride gets a hold of them again. And all of a sudden they're in a situation where they they have to give up. Or they have to resist temptation. Or they have to uh, act in a Christian form or fashion. They have to walk in Christ's ways. They have to feel the weight of the cross. They have to bear with Christ in some way. And they're unwilling. They're unwilling. They go back. They say no. And as quickly as they come to Christ, they move on to something new. I tried Christ, it didn't work for me. I went to something else. I went to Buddhism because it allows me to be who I am. 
I went to this or that. They, they come for a season and then they move on. And their hearts are inoculated against Christ. They've had enough. Oh, I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. And therefore I went somewhere else. And I'm still looking. I'm a searcher. Searching for the truth. Then there is this third group of those who hear the word and receive it. And they go on. And there's growth in them. They, they are emulating, copying the people around them. They're those, the people who are among us, who are seat warmers, we used to call them in Ireland. They come every week and they sit there. And all they do is they sit, sit there and keep the seat warm. And then after the service, they get up and they go. They don't really involve themselves in the life of the congregation. They don't really involve themselves in Christian things. They make an outward expression, an outward communication of faith in Jesus Christ. But as to the following on of Jesus, well, I've got too much other things. You know, life is too busy, business. As it says here, the, the riches and the deceitfulness of this world choke out the life of their confession. The things of this world become more important to them than the things of the kingdom. Do you remember Demas who uh, abandoned Paul from the, the, I was going to say the Gospel of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. The Gospel of Acts. Dear me. Do you remember he was one of Paul's uh, followers, friends, medialpere, co-workers, and persecution got so hard. Paul was in prison. Looked like he was going to die. And he abandons Paul in his circumstances. And Paul says of him, he so loved the things of this world that he abandoned us. And I'm not saying that that man was not a believer. But for this type of profession... For those who make an outward profession. They go on well for a time. But again. The things of the world. The cares of family life. The cares of what my mommy or daddy. My momo, my mofa. Whoever, whoever. But brothers, my sisters. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be put in a situation where I feel awkward and difficult. It's better to just go along with these things. And not cause any trouble. This is the kind of person that they're talking about. The Bible says that, or Jesus said in the Bible, that the cares of this world, the concerns, the distractions, it choked the life out of any kind of spiritual life that they may have. The ground wasn't willing. It hungered after something other than the things of God. Christ wasn't enough. There was no place for Jesus in their heart. And so they hungered and thirst after other things. And they never, re they never achieve eternal life. Why? Because there's no heart relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There's no walk. They're not really having faith in Christ. It's just an outward profession that lacks any inward reality. But it expresses itself in, we would say, a nominal, a face value Christianity. And these people can continue their whole lives in church. It's not that it doesn't say here that they fall away from Christ. It doesn't say here that they can that they fall away from church. They're seat warmers. They come and they sit and they do what's required and then they leave. There's no reality. I'm not saying they're not friendly or, or, or welcoming. But there's no depth. And their life is so full of other things that Christ has no place in their existence. Then there's the last category, of course, those whose hearts received it. And it bears fruit. They love Christ. There's a connection there. However that expresses itself. But they go on to the end. They go on to the final harvest. It is a continuation. See, the first one died as soon as there was trouble. The, the, sorry, the third, second one. I always think, forget the, the, the seed that was taken. But the... The second one died as soon as there was trouble. The, the third one, it continued on, but never achieved the ability to produce fruit. It had growth, but it was choked and tied up and snared and was stunted in its growth. And never achieved to be able to produce good fruit. The last one, it grew up straight and strong and bared much fruit. It's about the harvest. And it persevered until the end. And fruit was achieved. Now it's to these groups, to these people, that the writer, speaker in Hebrews is talking. And he's addressing them in their circumstances. And he's warning them of the dangers of Playing at being a Christian. He's warning them. And if you've had any experience this. I could not tell you. In my 30 something years of being in the faith. How many people I have seen. Make a profession of faith. Carry on for a time. And then leave. And never come back. And go on to other things. I mean I could fill. Do you know what a, a phone book is? Are any of you old enough to know what a phone book you know, is? In my youth, we had phone books. We didn't have Google. We had phone books. And if you wanted to know somebody's phone number, you had to search in a phone book, the white pages, you know, and the yellow pages. Don and I, we're there. We know. The yellow pages. And I could fill. I could fill a yellow pages or a white pages with the amount of people. Sadly, the amount of people that I've seen make a profession of faith and then leave. I have seen so many people embrace Christ wonderfully and enthusiastically. Oh, and they're all about, let's do evangelism, let's do this, do that. And they're, oh, we can change the world. And they're so passionate. And you think, oh, wonderful. I wish other people could have this passion. A month goes by, two months, three months. And all that passion is frizzled out. All that enthusiasm has wavered. And it's replaced by a regret or, or bitterness. Why are not all Christians like this? 
or something like that. Sadly, the truth is that those who make a profession of faith that is not true and real often ends in a way where they will, they're inoculated. They, they, they have only re- received enough of the gospel to make them hardened against it. And to these people he's talking, he's warning those nominal Jews. He's warning those nominal Christians within the congregation. He's warning those who are becoming dull of hearing to guard your heart and to take special interest in your walk that you don't end up like one of these people who made a profession of faith. But for whatever reason, it never came to the end result. How do I know that you're a believer? It's not the fact that you tell me that you're a believer. It's not even the fact that I see that you live a Christian life and are producing fruit or the opposite that I don't know that you're a believer or an unbeliever or I know that you're not a believer because you're not producing fruit. No. It's because that one day when the resurrection happens, we will be taken up. We will be saved. And that is our great hope in the resurrection. That one day we will be gathered together with the rest of God's saints. Beloved, let us not be foolish and thinking that everyone who professes the name of Jesus is saved. That everyone who professes Christ is coming to heaven. The Bible says that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible says that there are false professors. The Bible says there are those who go for one with Christ but have no eternal life. Does Jesus not tell us that on the last day many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord? Did we not cast out demons, do miracles, all kinds of wonderful stuff in your name? And then Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I did not know you. Believe, beloved, it is possible for someone to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ that lacks any internal reality. And sadly, the truth is for those people that there is, once they are deluded, deceived, come under the misinformation and false information of thinking that they're a believer, it's impossible to bring them back. It's impossible. It's like there is this this anathema hatred in them that they cannot, will not come back to church. They will not come... Will not, cannot come back to Christ. A bitterness grows up within them. And an anti-Christian spirit grows up within them. They often become the greater, greatest persecutors of the church. In the 1800s, during the Moody revivals, they would call these kind of areas that made... They had these big giant crusades, you know, the, the, the big crusades we were all very aware of, where someone would get up and they would make a, a gospel appeal, very emotional. It was, it was um, not Moody, it was the other one, I can't remember his name. And they, they, would, they, they would ask people to put up their hands. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, if you want to be saved, put up your hand! And people would put up their hands and they would come forward. And they would pray for them and they say, you're all Christians now. Hallelujah, praise God, amen. And a week would go by, two weeks would go by. 
And those people would be still in their sins and in their trespasses, still in their hatred for Christ. All the emotion had bled away. And in its stead, there became a, a hardness of their hearts in that they saw Christianity as being false and a kind of manipulation. And they refer to those areas in the northern parts of America as, as the burnt over areas. The places where no growth could ever happen. People had been so burnt in their hearts, so desensitized to Christianity because of the false Christianity that had been so prevalent there that they no longer wanted it, cared for it. And indeed, in those areas, the cult sprung up. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, all the other the um, Seventh-day Adventist cults that came up during those times all come from that area of the burnt over where people had made a profession of faith that lacked any kind of reality. And once they fell away, once they rejected the true and real gospel, it was impossible to bring them back. It was impossible to bring them back. Beloved, he is speaking and informing his readers of the dangers of skin-deep Christianity. Do you remember the psalm that we read, Psalm 78? Yes, I was always going to read Psalm 78, always from beginning to end. In that psalm that we read this morning, the, where the, the, the writer of the psalm is retelling the history of Israel, and how God did thing, thing after thing after thing for Israel. And yet Israel remained hard and bitter in their sins. And they did not honor God. And they continually strayed. Think if it was possible for Israel. Who saw God. Saw the pillar of fire. Who received angels food. Manna from heaven. If they were capable of straying in their sins. Of not committing. How much more are we? Who don't see with these eyes. But see with the eyes of faith. Run the risk and the danger of having. A skin deep profession of faith. He's warning them. Make sure that your walk with God is real. Because if it's not real. And you fall away. It's all nigh but impossible to come back. Why? Because you are re-sacrificing Christ. There's, and it's, it's almost, he says this in a mocking way. He's mockingly saying this. There's no sacrifice left for you. If, if you can't, if Christ is not enough for you, if the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough for you, what else are you going to apply to your life? What else are you going to use? If Jesus isn't enough, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? He says in verse 6, if they fall away, it is... Uh, uh, um, they fall away to re- uh, it is impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. And then verse 7 and 8 finally... 
For the earth drinks rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for them, those who cultivate it and receives blessings from it. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is being burnt. Here he's giving them a test, a test of their own existence, a test of their own spiritual life, of their relationship with God. How do you know whether you are one of these people? How do you know whether you are a person who has a real faith in God rather than being one of these people who have a skin deep, a, 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 an unauthentic walk with God? And he gives us this. He says, listen, we know because of the harvest, that which is coming out of you, that which is, you receive the, the earth, both earth, receive the same blessing, the rain falls upon it. One produces herbs. Meets, you think of a herb garden or something like this here. The other briars and thorns and thistles. Uh, have you ever been picking halon? Wild raspberries or bjornbark? Bjornbark maybe is even worse than, than halon. You know, I love, I love halon. It's one of my favorite things to do in the summer is go halon picking. I, there's more in my mouth than there is in the bucket, honestly. Um, but have you ever tried to walk through a, 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 one of those halon patches? You know, that you normally grow along the, the sides of the road. You ever tried to, to maneuver your way through? Even worse when it's a bjornbara, a blackberry in English. It's like a wall of thorns. He's saying to the, to the hearers, to the readers, to those who are being receiving this word, look at your life. Look at what's coming out of you. Is there the response that there's blessing that you are in your relationship to Christ? Are you becoming more useful to Him? More benefit to Him? Or is there a barrier between you and Christ? Is it a difficult thing? What would you rather do? Walk through a a field of thorns or a field of sweet-smelling herbs of basilica or something else? I know that I would rather walk through that sweet-smelling herbs. You know, <gasps> be lovely. Sage or something, you know, as you walk upon it. And or in the summertime here, as you're walking through and you smell the clover, you hear the humming of the bees. Beautiful. But again, you think of a... Of a an area that has been taken over by hollow bushes. And you're in your shorts and you're trying to walk through it. It's awful. Terrible. Or Ben Nettler. You know, the, the nettles. He's asking, he's saying to them, look at your lives and see what it's like. And there's a warning there as well. Don't think if your life is producing thorns and thistles and brambles uh, that you're going to get away with it. Don't think that there's no cost or that there's going to be a good ending for you self-examination he's exhorting them to examine themselves and examine their lives who we are inside comes out into our lives i know that you're committed by your actions you can say that i love you I, we all think about the americans don't we love you 
I love you. I love you all. It's American said. I don't even experience them. They say that all the time. Bugs on life right at me. I love you all. Have a good day. How you all doing today? And you stop me and say, well, I'm doing okay. Thank you very much. How are you doing? And then they kind of get a little weird. You know, like, Ooh. When I was in America, and I, everybody, they always ask you that. How you all doing today? And I would stop and I would say, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. How are you doing? And then they panic because you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to fine. I'm doing fine. You know that kind of stuff? It's very easy to have that kind of skin deep chronic Christianity, superficial. It has to go deeper, it has to go become real. How do I know that you love me? It's not by how do I know that you love me or that you, I, how do you know that I love you? The love of Christ. It's by our actions. It goes beyond just simply saying, have a good day now. I love you all. Or by shaking hands or smiling. There has to be action. We forgive one another. We care for one another. We put up with one another. We provide for one another. Why do we do that? Not because we're just great people. Because of the commandments of Christ. Because of the love of Christ in us. We love Jesus Christ. Therefore we love each other. Because we recognize that we are the body of Christ. I see that you love Jesus because of your relationship with one another. Here, beloved, in this passage, he is warning those who have a, a nominal faith, a, a skin-deep superficial faith of the danger of that. And he's reminding those who are true believers that those who fall away, those who have been a part of us, those who have walked the walk for a time, it's impossible that they're coming back. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Now that's not to say we should not evangelize everybody or warn them. We're to be watchmen upon the walls and cry out and warn those around us, especially those who make false professions of faith because their judgment will be twice as worse. But there is a, a lesson here and a call to self-examination that we're not to be babes, we're not to be dull of hearing, we're not to be fooled into thinking that our skin-deep superficial relationship is, has any meaning. We are warned that you can pretend, be deceived, be deceived by your own heart, be deceived by false teaching into thinking that you are a believer when you're not, really. And then finally he, he warns us, he gives us the test of the two groins. One is beneficial and a blessing. The other is worth nothing and good for burning. Nothing else. Examine your heart. Examine your life in the light of scripture. Make sure that you're not one of these easy believers. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we hear your word, Lord, and it truly makes us afraid. For who knows their own heart? Lord, we are so aware of our own sin, our own unrighteousness. Lord, our shortcomings and our failings. Lord, we understand about the different seasons of our life. Lord, sometimes we're better, sometimes we're worse, sometimes we're more, sometimes we're less. Lord, 
who is able for these things? Father, we look unto Jesus, our rock and our saviour, our redeemer. He and he alone, Lord, is enough. We ask, O oh God, for those among us who have a superficial and skin-deep faith, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. Truly, Lord, you would awaken them before it is too late. The Lord, you would call them back to a true and real faith. Father, we pray for those who would, before anyone falls away, apostatizes, Lord, we pray, move in their hearts. Lord, we pray you would help us to examine ourselves and to be repentant and to guard ourselves. We know that we are continually bombarded by the false information of the enemy. Lord, the false information of our hearts, the false information from the world that would try and lead us astray. We pray, O oh God, that you would guard our hearts. Lord, for those who do not know you, see of them, Lord, O oh God, see of them. Oh Lord, that they might receive the word with joy and Lord, and go on until the end, bearing fruit and coming to salvation. Oh, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.